Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. It's on page 1006. If you're just picking up a black Bible, or if you've got one of the blue larger print Bibles, it's 1193. Hebrews chapter 9. We're in the middle of kind of the, the final flourish of the writer's argument. He's been speaking about the, the new covenant and all that Christ has done. And we continue in it from verse 15. Therefore, he, that is Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. When every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor is it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. Would you please sit down and would you please take up your Bibles and turn back to Hebrews chapter 9. Now I wonder if you've ever thought about the fact that uh, a lot of life is spent getting actually from one place to another, 
it's from home to church, from school to the shops, from here to your mum's house. We walk, we cycle, we catch the bus, we drive, we fly. You know, lots of it, actually. Now, travel companies, they know this, and they, so they promise to make uh, the whole experience top-notch. You know, they can promise chauffeured door-to-door uh, service, luxury, leather-seated cars, VIP access to skip the dreadful queues, delicious food and drink uh, to sit back and enjoy. Uh, they've got you secure. You know, they'll get you from A to B, no sweat, and in luxury. Now, I'm sure some of them really do fulfill their promises, but you can start to read the small print on others. Actually, you may be sharing a car with others. In other words, it's a minibus. And no queues, well, that's kind of dependent on the airport. And delicious food, well, that's with a certain ticket and subject to availability. And then they lose your baggage, you end up in Manchester, rather Mallorca. Uh, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of whatever, I'll do it my own way. Uh, and I wonder, if, I wonder if we can sometimes feel similar about religion. You know, it promises us, it promises us to get us from A to be from here to glory, and it can feel a bit more like a failing travel company. Does Jesus Christ really deliver on his promises, or should we jump ship before it's too late? Because here in chapter 9 of Hebrews, we are riding on a promise, the promise of the faultless new covenant. If you remember back in chapter 8, Uh, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, he promised a new covenant, a covenant of of clarity and power, a covenant securing salvation, making us God's people through complete forgiveness. It's an incredible promise. And the question is, does Jesus actually deliver on the new covenant? Is he the one who makes it all happen? Or is he like the failing travel company, all promises but no cigar? And so... In chapter 9 and 10, this is the culmination of the argument. The writer of the Hebrews is opening up how Jesus and the new covenant link together. Now, last week, if you were here, we saw the wonderful truth of Jesus' death for us. It was gaining access, paying the penalty, and how he gloriously cleanses our consciences as he deals with our sin. And and here tonight, the writer wants us to see the all-encompassing nature of Jesus' work and the new covenant. How the the cross secures us from start to finish, door to door like no other. And it's right there in verse 15, the first verse of our reading. Therefore, he is is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. But how? Well, firstly, his blood is... His blood means forgiveness is here. Okay? His blood means forgiveness is here. Remember that promise of Jeremiah. If you just look at 8 verse 12. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, last week we saw how God brings about that forgiveness, Jesus' death in our place. And here the writer wants to open that up more for us, tying forgiveness and Jesus' death all the more tightly. And it's all framed by what he says at the end of verse 22 of chapter 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness There needs to be blood, it's saying, for the new covenant to have any effect. If there's to be forgiveness, there needs to be blood spilt. 
And again, last week we saw Christ's death, his bloodshed paid the penalty. He was a substitute, dying the death we deserve to die. But here the writer comes at a different angle. I want you to imagine, it's a bit like we're standing in a queue. I know it's a very British thing to be doing, but we're standing in a queue, kind of stuck in the old covenant. We're waiting for the new covenant to begin, waiting for the time of forgiveness. You know, imagine it's like one of those queues that you're, you're waiting for a shop to open, and everyone's queuing because there's a prize thing being sold. Uh, recently, I heard about queues outside Aldi at seven in the morning because they were selling uh, the energy drink called Prime. Uh, a massive queue of people waiting, eager for the doors to open, eager to get their hands on that prize bottle of energy. And, and here, okay, we're in the queue. We're not waiting for Prime. We're, 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 we're waiting for the new covenant to arrive, for the promised forgiveness but without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Well, why? Because blood opens the doors, opens the doors for that cue to come in. The spilling of blood is what begins the new covenant, what gets it going, puts it in place, inaugurates it. Verse 15, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, since a death has occurred that redeems them. Since a death has occurred. A death has to happen first. Now, why is that? Well, verse 16, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, the writer here uses an example. We know a a will, it takes effect when someone dies. The testator, the one who makes the will, when he dies, then what he said will happen, happens. The will comes into effect. And that's the same with the covenant. The the death of the testator, a death of, of something representing them, starts the covenant. Verse 18, the old, it was started with blood, the blood of animals representing humans, and so the new was too. But instead of the blood of animals, it was through the death of the one who made the covenant, God himself. Christ died to inaugurate this new covenant. The the blood binds the parties in the covenant together. And that means the time of forgiveness is here. Blood opens the doors of the new covenant. Those waiting outside, waiting for that prize of forgiveness. Just imagine the joy at the moment. You know, the shop assistant comes, turns the key in the lock, and opens the door. They can come in, receive forgiveness. His blood means forgiveness is here. But blood, it doesn't just open the doors to forgiveness. It also achieves the gift. It achieves the gift. Verse 19, the writer now goes back uh, to the old, and he speaks about some ceremonies where, where Moses took the blood of sacrifices and sprinkled it, sprinkled it on the book, the tent, the vessels, the people. It's an extraordinary picture, isn't it? It must have been a strange experience. Everything covered with spatters of blood. The book, the material, the objects, you standing there sprinkled with blood. And then what's the result? Verse 22, indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood. It's purified with blood. To look at it, it seems the opposite, doesn't it? You come in without blood on you and you leave spattered with it. Purified? Well, it's pointing deeper, isn't it, to the spiritual realities to a purified conscience, to sins wiped away. But not just 
depth, but also width, because it shows us the blood affects widely. Seeing, seeing its blood sprinkled everywhere around you shows that the death doesn't just sit there kind of on the table with the sacrifice. It has a much bigger impact. The blood purifies everything that needs to be purified. The sacrifice does its job. It spreads beyond itself. It brings purity uh, to people. It brings purity to the tabernacle, to the objects of worship. It makes everything ready and right for worship. Now, because it's a shadow, it's all pointing to the way Jesus' blood goes even further. Verse 23, but the heavenly things themselves were purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Christ's sacrifice, it, it purifies and makes right everything that it needs to. It goes widely. It consecrates the heavenly places for worship. It purifies the consciences of believers. It makes everything ready and right. It even works backwards for those who are before it. It works forwards for those who are after it. End of verse 26, sin is put away with. It's removed, got rid of. The sacrifice of Christ, it's far-reaching. Just as blood was sprinkled far and wide in the old, so Jesus' death reaches all that it needs to, to bring forgiveness. It achieves the gift. It does it all. It's like once you walked into that shop after queuing so long, rather than running down the aisles with other crazed shoppers, you know, you just walk up to the cashier and smile and say, you know, I'm with Jesus. And they look at you and they say, of course, sir, everything's ready for you. And they hand it to you, paid for, wrapped, ready. The blood of Jesus, it opens the doors and it achieves the gift. And that means forgiveness is here. Jesus' death, it really has brought about forgiveness. And so as we thought about last week, if you're with Jesus, it covers the sins of your past, whatever you've done. It's a bit scandalous, doesn't it? Even the most horrific, the most repetitive, even those Christ's blood is sufficient. And even into the future, perhaps you're a worrier tonight. Perhaps you worry about what you're going to do in the future. What if I mess up big time? What if I can't keep it together? Things are going well now, but what about then? But Christ died for us. His forgiveness is here. His blood has removed sin. All is made right. It reaches all that it needs to. And that's your life in the future too. But with all this sprinkling, it, it points to the extent of forgiveness. You know, forgiveness, it's, it isn't just for you. It's also true of all of God's family. So when we struggle to forgive the sins of your Christian brother or sister, it helps to remember, gee, God has forgiven them. Blood was shed for them. You shouldn't make them suffer for it. Christ has already suffered. And this also means forgiveness is on offer for our friends. Perhaps you've known forgiveness yourself, but you've never shared the truth of Jesus' death with that, that colleague struggling with guilt, that, that neighbor who seems to have everything right on the surface, that, that self-righteous sibling. But the new covenant has come. 
his blood means forgiveness is here. But I know sometimes we, as we think about Christ's death, it can feel, it just feels a long time ago, doesn't it? 2,000 years. Well, Jesus hasn't just acted in the past, but he brings the past into the present. Because secondly, his, his presence means forgiveness is secured. His presence means forgiveness is secured. Jesus' death doesn't just sit there as kind of a past memorial stone. It's something Jesus himself brings into the presence by entering heaven itself on our behalf. That's where the writer takes us. He takes us there again to heaven itself. Verse 24, for Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And then again in the second half of 26, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ has appeared in heaven. His presence is before God. If you've been uh, kind of on the Hebrews journey, Hebrews has brought this up again and again and again, hasn't he? It really matters that Christ is in heaven right now. Last week we thought about access gained. A human really has entered God's presence and we will follow But here we see it linked in verse 26 with the the putting away of sin. And in verse 24, that it's it's on our behalf. It's like what we saw back in chapter 7 all those months ago. In 7 verse 25 it says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those uh, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, what's that? With Jesus' intercession, it's, it's him bringing his completed sacrifice before God. It's as if he's standing there in heaven with his, his scars, showing his scars on his hands and his feet to our heavenly Father, saying, Father, it's done. The sacrifice has happened. It's complete. Everything's paid for. I've been righteous for them. I've died for them. As Christ stands in heaven, so it's as if God's eyes are are completely filled with Jesus' righteousness and sacrifice. And that means our sin is completely covered over. Reconciliation won. The evidence is before the judge. Jesus has appeared once for all time. Amazingly, his, his presence in heaven right now is perfectly sufficient for us. His presence means forgiveness is secured. Secured. It's a bit like when you spend some money. Have you ever noticed that on pound notes, um, they're signed by the chief cashier of the, um, of the bank, the Bank of Scotland or the Bank of England, and that, that signature is a, it's a promise to pay the person the real amount. It's saying, this note, it's secured by us, the bank. It really is worth this money because we, we the bank, are behind it. They secure the promise. Christ in heaven, he secures forgiveness for us. You know, as as we read of the new covenant in our Bibles, as we read and hear that forgiveness is here for us today, this minute and forever, and we trust him for it, we know it's secured because Jesus is behind it. It's signed in his blood, and his death is there in heaven presented before God right now. He's brought the past. That past shedding of blood right into the present, into today, into today, as long as it's called today. 
And as we read of Jesus' death on a cross 2,000 years ago, it can feel of a different world. It can feel like we're just reading a novel sometimes. It's, it's great as you read it, but then you, you shut the book, and you're back to your life now, your, your real world, and the book stays shut. But that's not the way with Jesus. He's always our priest. We walk each day, each day under his love and grace. Each day, he stands as our priest before God. So each day we have the relief, the confidence, the forgiveness, the confidence to enter God's throne room in humble boldness, the confidence to pray and rest in the arms of our Father, knowing our sin won't stop us. But frustratingly, do you ever, do you ever find that when sin is rearing up in your life, you're, you're much slower to pray? But if we think we're kind of doing okay with the Lord, we're, we're much less hesitant to pray. Well, at that point, you know what? We've forgotten all of this when that happens. We've forgotten that Jesus is in heaven. We've forgotten that our, our present sin does not affect how much we're welcome to pray. The Father loves it when we come to him. Every single time, because Jesus is in heaven on our behalf. His presence means forgiveness is secured. So his blood means forgiveness is here. His presence means forgiveness is, is secured. And so lastly, it's so the future is sorted. The future is sorted. Jesus' death not only just happened in the past, it not only is brought into the present, it also means the future sorted. Verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now here we come to that important truth, true for everyone, everywhere. We will die at some point, and then there will be judgment. Death is not the final end, it's the first step towards facing the judgment seat of God, where he will try and punish the guilty and acquit the righteous. It's a, it's a day that although our, our society tries to ignore it, it looms heavy in the future. It's, it's like a dark black storm cloud sitting on the horizon and, and every so often we feel a drop of water, a moment of God's wrath in the present. I don't know, like the suffering and pain in our world and we, we shake it off and say it must be our imagination and we, we just try and get on with our lives. But God is very clear here, isn't it? We will die once. And after that comes judgment. A day when our sinful hearts, our hearts and desires, our lust, our pride, our selfishness comes to light. Also our sinful heads, those judgmental thoughts, those dismissive beliefs. And our sinful hands, our, our failure to help someone in need. The way we held tightly to our money or possessions or violent hands and sharp tongue. Without a mediator, Without a savior, it will be a dreadful day. A day when our guilt and shame will be exposed. A day when our rejection of our creator will be seen as the utter filth it is. But we do have a mediator. And the incredible thing is judgment doesn't phase Jesus. That's all part of the package deal. It's all included, verse 26. He's put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 28, he's been offered once to bear the sins of many. 
Well, and if he's done that, then there's no problem when it comes to judgment. For God's people, sin has been born. Sin has been got rid of. It's been removed, completely set aside, wiped cleaner than clean. So judgment isn't a problem. It's a done deal. If Jesus' death saves from sin, it saves from judgment. God will not visit his wrath on the same people twice. Either their sin was punished in the the shedding of Jesus' blood, Jesus standing as their substitute, or they'll face the just punishment when God judges. It can't be both. If Jesus died for you, and he died for you, you're safe forever. That is why the writer describes salvation in verse 15 as an internal, eternal inheritance. It's not eternal in just a kind of mystical, abstract kind of way. It's eternal in the sense that it it saves completely each and every step of the way from yesterday to today to the next day to my death and then to the final judgment itself. Now, lots of things we we choose to live our lives by can try to make our, you know, our day-to-day easier or calmer, can't they? You know, meditation, it might calm our anxiety. Running a lot, it makes us fitter, perhaps helps our mental health. Believing everyone has their own truth can take away a lot of personal conflict. Even, even trying to be good and getting to church every week might do something. But none of these help us on Judgment Day. They won't take us safely home. They cannot present us before a holy God that we might enjoy his smiling face. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And that's why Jesus' blood shed on the cross is a different matter. It really does work. When he comes again, sin sin has been dealt with. And so he, he returns to save, to finish the job to bring the new heavens and the new earth. No wonder those who are waiting are eagerly waiting for him. They'll see their savior. And there's no fear. There's no fear he's going to turn around and say, no way, you weren't quite good enough for me. No way, you you didn't quite say your prayers right on that Tuesday a few years ago. Why? Because he died for them. They're waiting eagerly. Jesus died for us. There's his blood and his presence And so the future's sorted. God has got us from start to finish. His promise is not empty like that failing travel company. His promise, it's grounded in history. It's grounded in that moment of of death of a man called Jesus, the son of Joseph, Joseph, Jesus of Nazareth, 2,000 years ago, and then rising to life for three days later, and then his ascension into heaven 40 days after that. And so it's door-to-door service, total salvation, a total salvation for his whole church, and so a total salvation for each one of us as people. Now, it's total in that it covers your whole life. It's from cradle to grave. Actually, it's from cradle through the grave and into eternal life. And that means we can live each moment by faith, each step of the way in trust of Jesus, Because knowing Jesus has got us from start to finish means we know he's got us now and now and now. His grace won't run out at some point. I can't use it up or need a top up. And also I can't add to it. I can't earn my way to him because Jesus died for us from start to finish. And it also means when life's tough, 
which I know it is for some of you at the moment, this means God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't dropped you. If his salvation is total from beginning to end for his church, just because life is hard doesn't mean he isn't bringing you through it. So even in the heartache, you can come to your father knowing he's got you. But it's not just total in that it takes us from start to finish. It's also total, he gives us everything we need. Remember, his blood purifies all that we need for a life lived in worship. He cleanses our consciences. He frees us for worship. He takes away the fear of the future, giving us hope. He brings peace between us and God, and so with us and those around us. He covers all bases. If his grace is sufficient for all our sin, for giving us access to his heavenly throne room through judgment itself for eternity, then surely it's sufficient for my struggles today. Surely it's sufficient for my frustration with sin, for my struggles with fear or worry, for my, my feeling of brokenness when facing the sin of others. And so we can pray every day, Lord, today, give us today our daily bread. We know the love of God reaches right now into our hearts and lives. Why? Because we're surrounded by a total salvation. Jesus died for us. If you are looking for a savior tonight, here he is, the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, come to him. He died for us, meaning forgiveness is here. It's secured before God, and so the future's sorted. And so let's, let's be people who eagerly wait for him. That the one who out of extraordinary love and obedience died a death in our place, the one who in the power of a resurrection life has entered heaven on our behalf and continually intercedes for us, the one who so deeply loves his bride that he will return to save us. Don't you just want to see him face to face to finally experience the, the culmination of all our hopes and dreams to bow before him and say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. And we will do. We will do. Because of his blood and his presence. Amen.